and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're going on a long trip to the past. We uh, are talking about Doctor Sleep from 2019, the director's cut, although it's basically the same as the not director's cut, but we'll get into some of the differences mm-hmm. uh, in uh, before we get started. How was your week? Well, I mean, or weeks. Actually, week, uh, it was really restful. I'm really glad that I took some time off um, uh, because there there was uh, big things to get through in the last week or so. So I'm glad for the time off and the vacation and, and getting away from work. What about you? It was good. I had a birthday. Yes, you did. We did nothing. Happy birthday. Thanks. Uh, someday I'll actually celebrate it, probably. Yeah, well, we <laughs> kind of celebrated it. You guys made me a lovely cake, which was very unexpected and surprising, and that was nice, and I appreciated it. And we went out and got dinner, too. We so. did? But, yeah, when things are a little bit safer to open up, maybe we can celebrate our birthdays together. Yeah, there you go. That sounds good. So, we had some technical difficulties, which I posted about on Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know... I, I was able to install the Peacock app, which is okay. the only place you can see Mr. Mercedes Season 3, Season three. on the Xbox. It seemed to work well. We had to subscribe to Peacock, which mm-hmm. I did not want to do, but you were like, I got this. And then I was like, okay. Uh, so I did that. So we seemingly had access to it. But then when we went to hit to start the episode... It just kicked us back out into the menu. So I don't know what's happening. Well, we figure it out. Since we already took a week off, I decided, let's skip it. Dr. Sleep's coming up. Gave us the uh, reason to go ahead and buy the director's cut. Because Mm -hmm. the the movie isn't currently streaming anywhere except Cinemax. Which I do not subscribe to mm. and did not want to pay another You're thing missing, for. Missing lots of kung fu movies and soft porn. I'm not missing it. Okay. I can get, I have access well, to both of those porn. things yeah. if I want them. It's very exciting. So, and I don't need to pay $5.99 a month mm. for it or whatever. So, uh, we went ahead and bought the director's cut, which is available on Amazon digitally, because the, the director's cut is also not available to stream anywhere, not okay. even Cinemax. So, if we wanted to watch the director's cut, and we did, we had to get it ourselves. And so, we did. And now we own it, which is fine, because I really enjoy this movie. I, I do. I think that it's a, a very unusual film. Yes. That manages to do something really odd, which is integrate a novel and a film. Yes. From two people who notoriously did not get along, at least in in terms of, in their terms of vision. The story. Yes, correct. And so, the fact that he was able to integrate these two, because he realizes yeah. that there is a whole different world. Uh, Mike Flanagan, the director, yes. he's actually very talented. I like he's his work. He's extraordinarily right. good. I really like him a lot. Um, and I've seen, I think, more of his stuff than you have. Mm, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, we've watched a lot of it for this podcast. He has directed. Yep, 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 yep. We just want to talk about his directing stuff. Well, well we both saw Absentia. Um, on a lark, uh, years and years ago. Yes. And we both remarked, our roommate talked us into it, we were all trying to find something to watch, I remember that night, because I wasn't having terribly high expectations. Yes. And the film was really very good. Yes. So was Oculus, we went saw that in the theater. Yes. I did not see Hush. Hush is great. 
Hush is a Netflix film, which basically is a two-hander. It's Mm -hmm. his wife, Mike Flanagan's wife, who is an actress, um, and John Gallagher Jr., Mm -hmm. who is in the newsroom and various and sundry other things. I like him a lot. It's basically the two of them. Yeah. Well, a lot of Oculus is really just, I think, mainly it comes down to four characters. Um, Yeah. And so he's very good with small casts and creating an actual sympathy with the characters in the setting. Uh, I think where I've seen more, we saw The Haunting of Hill House together. Oh, you watched The Haunting of Bly Manor and I have not yet. Haunting of Bly Manor, which I thought was also very meta and very fun. Because we both watched Ouija. Uh We both watched Gerald's Game. Yes. We both watched this. But Bly Manor took a lot of Henry James ghost stories, which people don't recognize him for producing more than just the one. Right. And interweave them into until you create them. this whole web of how they all interconnect like some sort of uh, MCU for Henry James, which was really very funny. He was born in Salem, Massachusetts, Mr. Oh, Flanagan was. Perfect. Which is pretty great. Um, yeah, I I like him a lot, and I like that he uses the same actors a lot. Mm-hmm. So Bruce Greenwood comes up in this. Henry Thomas is in this. Who else? Is that just it for this one? I think um, his wife frequently turns up. But... Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, her name is Kate Siegel. Yeah, she's up in the upcoming Midnight Mass show that he he's done as well. Bly Manor, A Hill House, Gerald's Game, Ouija, Hush, as I said. Is she in? She is in Oculus. And I don't see her in Absentia. Mm. In Absentia. Uh, so, but Doug Jones is in Absentia. Yes, yes. <laughs> as Doug Jones, you can see his face. It's pretty good. Uh, so, this is another Mike Flanagan joint. It is the last film that we will discuss in the main body of this podcast. Okay. Uh, let me actually make sure that that's true. Oh, yes, because Lisey's story is coming to Apple TV this summer, but it is a series, mm-hmm. not a film. Uh, so right now it doesn't look like another Stephen King film will be coming out before the end of this, um, run for us. Uh, so this is the last movie and I, uh, spoiler alert, I guess I'm going to say that it's probably my favorite. Really? And well, I don't know if it's my favorite. I think it's the best adaptation. Okay. I think it's the That's best adaptation. Uh, I think it's the best put in putting on film of Stephen King's writing. Okay. Because as I've said before, when we talk about things like Firestarter and things, where fire is cinematic, mm-hmm. but the making of the fire is not really that cinematic. Like Professor X is not a cinematic character, yeah, exactly. right? The the thinking really hard is not. We don't need it. I don't. I don't need you to put that on film. I can read it and I got it. I mm-hmm. don't need it on film. I think what what Mike Flanagan does with this, not only in terms of 
an adaptation of the book and making it filmic and cinematic. But that weaving that he did Mm -hmm. between the film The Shining Mm -hmm. and the book The Shining and the book Dr. Sleep to make something so cohesive is praiseworthy. I, right. I would, I would, it's I would. Achievement. And um, we saw a brief documentary after the film where Stephen King praised him for this effort yeah. to put both worlds together. And it ends where Dr. Sleep ends. Mm-hmm. It ends in the, uh, the, the phrase game state keeps coming into my head, but mm-hmm. we are left in the same game state as is at the end of every of, of Stephen King's shining. Okay. Or Dr. Sleep, really. Right. By, by burning down the hotel that was left standing in Kubrick Shining, we get the flattened overlook mm-hmm. that we would go into another Shining story. Right. It would just have the, the campground or whatever is there now. And I think there's a little bit of a... I. Because Kubrick didn't burn down the Overlook in the in the movie The Shining, it allowed the la- the climax of this movie to be in the Overlook, right. which is not right. where the Doctor Sleep climax well, we saw is. This originally in the theater, and I didn't know anything about the story. I went in completely blind, and it was alternately a really fun and a real terrible theatrical experience. Yes, oh, because woof. someone came into the theater. And dropped her phone um, between the seats, and then just for the longest time would not acknowledge that it was her phone. Well, which wouldn't have been a problem, except that an alarm was going off. Right, it wasn't that it was an alarm, and so um, she just kept ignoring it, and it was ringing all through and the theater. And it was only an hour into the film when right. this started, and it was uh, like another. 40 minutes before mm-hmm. she finally did something about well, it. Well, the ushers came in, yes. and then and there were like two seats ahead of us or something. Yeah, they were right was, in front of I us. I was very close to her, and I, at one point, along with several people, asked her, is that your phone? And she just said no. And when the usher comes in, she admitted it was her phone. I don't know why she was ignoring it. Um, and then she was like asked to leave. Yeah, of course. And Because uh, if she just dealt with it, right. it wouldn't have been an issue. We were passed out tickets that were going to give us a discount. Of course, this is before this is before the COVID hit, yeah. experience as we know it ended. Um, and so that was the bad part of it. The good part, though, was not knowing anything about this story. And so when it takes that turn to go to the Overlook, probably because I was expecting the Overlook not to be there. I'd seen right. the TV version of The Shining right. where the hotel gets blown up. And realizing that this is where they're going to have their final confrontation, I got chilled. It's like, yeah. oh my god, that is such a great idea. Yeah, and if you there, didn't know going in, right, that's a know. big deal. That is a big deal. And so I was really grateful that I didn't do any research mm-hmm. and went into it. Because the idea that this enormous hotel is like a minefield of demonic presences yes. and, and strange ghosts, and that seemed to be equally dangerous to both parties right. involved. But right. I don't want to get to that before we... Before we have Before to. Before we get into it. So, Dr. Sleep, if you don't know, mm-hmm. uh, tells the story of an adult, Danny Torrance. Uh, his mother has passed on a number of years before. Uh, we we are get, we get it in little flashbacks. Now, one of the things that I will say, the director's cut is nearly three hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
one of the things that he did was add chapters that wasn't in the theatrical cut. Okay. Which I liked. Which also follows Kubrick very closely. Does it? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I I like, especially if you're going to make me have a three-hour movie that Mm. I'm only going to have at home. Right. Chapter that shit up. That's great. Because that means I know that now is a good time to walk the hell away. Right. We will maybe talk about the Snyder Cut later. We watched it. Oh, yes. We watched it in pieces, two pieces, but pieces. And the chunking of it was great. Because right. at any point, 40 minutes, you could just watch it like a TV show. You could walk away. Uh, so I appreciated that. Um, uh, this movie, I should say, let's, let me give you the one sentence summary. All right, explain this to me like I'm a two-year-old, okay? Because there's an element to this thing. I just cannot get through my thick head. Years following the events of The Shining, a now-adult Dan Torrance must protect a young girl with similar powers from a cult known as the True Knot, who prey on children with powers to... It says to remain immortal. But as Rebecca Ferguson, as Rose the Hat in this film, Mm -hmm. the standout for sure... Rose Although everybody is quite good in this. But Rose is But wonderful. she's stunning. Um, I just prefer to think of her as slightly complicated. You, she is... I could make it she's, work. You, no, I don't, I don't believe vampire, that you could. She is a vampire who, who preys on children. children. Yeah, that's a hard one to overlook. So you have a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think you, you could. You could no. say that you could, but I don't think that you could. They aren't immortal. They live long if they eat well. They haven't been eating well. We see a number of them die in this movie, so immortal ain't it, but live long for sure. Movie opens uh, with a, a young girl named Violet Hansen. We see it is 2008. Is that right? I believe that's right. Mm. I yeah. think so, yes. It's 2008. So we're getting a baseline of where People are basically 10 years, 11 years before this movie. Uh, So Violet Hansen, out on a camping trip with her family, she wanders off into the woods and is um, consumed by Rose the Hat, who is played by Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, And she charms Violet with some magic tricks, and then they attack her. Mm -hmm. And consume her essence they call it steam in this it is her shining it is the part of her that has it's the it's the magic powers part of her because she is special uh elsewhere oh no this was oh this was actually florida in 1981 okay so it's right after the events of the overlook not right after but the, that that next year, mm-hmm. then we see little baby Danny Torrance, uh, where captions give you a little bit of a spoiler because when he's there, it says young Danny, and I'm like, so you're telling me there's an old Danny, <laughs> uh, and he is not speaking to his mother, uh, who is played admirably by Alex Esso, um, who does a really good job of capturing. A lot of Shelley Duvall's performance. She really does. She sounds a lot like her. Mm-hmm. Um, now, she's also was in The Haunting of Bly Manor, and she's in his upcoming Midnight Mass mm-hmm. uh, thing. So he does really 
I don't know if it's him specifically or his casting. Right. People really like similar things, but he has them do very different things. Every time Henry Thomas is in one of his things, yeah. he's a very different character. Um, so she is playing Wendy, uh, previously, of course, played by both Shelley Duvall and Rebecca De Mornay, mm-hmm. which I guess we're kind of forgetting. We're leaving out the... The television, the television adaptation of The Shining is not a part of the DNA mm-hmm. that goes into this. Right. Um, but at the same time, the Alex Esso is almost like a combination right. of Rebecca De Mornay and kind of the, the glamour of one and the, the kind of quirkiness of the other. Oddness of the other, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's still having nightmares. Um, the Grady twins and the bathtub lady. And we see him having an, uh, a conversation with Dick Halloran. Mm-hmm. And in the, in Dr. Sleep, in the flashbacks, Dick Halloran, of course, is alive in mm-hmm. the book. He is alive. Now in the, in Kubrick's film, he is killed Right here. We merge the ability to have Danny, young Danny, talk to him mm-hmm. by having him talk to a ghost. Right. And all that you have to do to achieve that is you have one final scene where you look back and he's, alone. he's not there. Right. Yeah. Which Carl, is Carl Lumley. Carl Lumley. I really yeah. like. I loved him in Alias. Yes. He had this really wonderful connection with the lead character, this very intense relationship where when she becomes aware of the fact that she's acting as a double agent and that nobody working Spoiler with Spoiler alert for Alias, knows. everyone. <laughs> uh, well, that's the first episode. But the scene where she confronts him and tells him, you've been a double agent against your own government and you didn't know it for all these years, the look on his face when he just realizes that he's betrayed everything he believed in was... He's really good. I really, really, really like you him. You recently saw him again in Captain America and the Winners... Uh, excuse me. Uh, the Falcon, the Winter Falcon, uh, Soldier. Falcon, the Soldier. Where he's playing another really interesting character, which is the first Captain America. Yes. Um, effectively, a person who was a black soldier who had super serum given to him in it because black people, soldiers at the time, were disposable. Yes, of course. And it has deleterious effects on him long term, but he had a whole career. And then, one, you know, there's a story behind that. But he has a gift for playing complicated characters. Yeah. Quickly, too. Right. Because he's not in it very long. Very few lines. What his issues, what the issues with the story are and how he moves it forward. And in that conversation that young young Danny has with a deceased Dick, uh, Dick shows him a box and tells him, you need to memorize everything about this box. You're going to make a duplicate in your head. Mm -hmm. And the next time one of these creatures is around you, you are going to put them in that box and you are going to leave leave them there. Uh, and that night, Danny and Wendy watching TV together. Danny excuses himself to go to the bathroom where the bathtub lady is there waiting for him. And he uses a box in his mind to trap her inside. Then he returns to his mother and she says, you know, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And he finally says, yeah, I'm okay, mom. So right. he, this is the first time he has spoken since they have left the overlook. Now, 2011. Going fast forward. Uh, Ewan McGregor is now playing older Danny Torrance. Uh, Dan. 
he is an alcoholic. Uh, we see him awake in the morning next to a naked woman who apparently might already be dead, but has definitely vomited in the bed next to him. We see him go and, and be sick himself. He has bruises all over his face, and we get some flashbacks. These flashbacks are longer in the director's cut, giving a more sort of bigger idea of what had happened the night before. Yeah. So he had met this woman at the bar. This is her place that he has ended up at. He had beaten the living snot out of some dude and by, you know, taking a pool ball and into his fist and beating him and saying, you're going to take your medicine, which is classic Jack Torrance. Bad, also keeping bad, it very straight, using, using the... Yes, the, yeah, That's very, yeah, that's uh, a street fight. And then goes to leave, and there's a baby mm-hmm. that has come out. And he gives the baby some Cheez-Its and puts it next to his mom. And she takes some money out of her purse because his wallet is empty because apparently she had taken his money to buy cocaine with. And I'm like, or you just did that. You don't remember because you were super drunk. Um, And then he bounces. At that same time, we see in Long Island, Long Island, Island. a teenager Mm -hmm. named Andy, who's played by Emily Allen Lind. And why do we know her? What was she? She was in Code Black. That's um, right. She was also she her sister was an actor actress also. Who was She in, has the pointiest little chin. She her sister's an actress who was in the Fox X Men show. What was that called? Oh, um The Gifted Dead. Right. And she was playing one of the the Strucker twins, I think, no. Oh, and I guess this chick play is in the babysitter movies? Yeah. I don't watch. But yeah, she's a very interesting performer. She looks like she could be a silent film star. Um, And I I liked her in playing the troubled teenager in Code Black. This performance, she makes a character here. Yeah, she does. And it's a character that... She doesn't have a lot of time on the screen. Right, which is interesting that she's able to do that. And part of it is physically because she looks so much like some sort of, you know, Biff doll. But her actions completely belie her appearance. Although, why don't you tell her how yeah. to introduce to her? Because it's so she's yeah. in a movie theater and an older gentleman. She's watching Casablanca. Behind mm-hmm. several rows behind her, we see Rose, the hat, and her sort of right hand man, probably on again, off again lover, uh, another member of the True Knot, Crow Daddy, mm-hmm. uh, are watching her. And an older man comes and sits down. Uh, and she sort of lays on him after they determine that they're going to stay there. And then she basically hypnotizes him. She yeah. says, you know, aren't you tired? Go to sleep. And then she um, takes his wallet. And then she carves with a knife into his face two cuts. Mm-hmm. And says, you know, remember... You know, first of all, a, a, a wall, a, a lost wallet is going to be easy to explain to your wife, but this won't be as easy to explain. And every time you look in the mirror and see this, you're going to say out loud, "I like little girls." Right. And um, you're going to remember. And in this version, it's you're going to remember 
being bitten by a snake, a snake in a white blouse Mm -hmm. with a face, a blank face. And the other one is just bit by a rattlesnake. It's a little more, which just feels like take to take, which choice you're going to use. And, uh, Rose and Crow realize that they look at what they're looking at what they refer to as a pusher Mm -hmm. and they kidnap her. She is, they are immune to her push, unfortunately for them. And, uh, later we see her wake up in, uh, in Rose's trailer where she is basically given the offer to join them. She's mm-hmm. 15. She says she's 15. Right. Uh, to join them so they can eat well, stay young, and live long. Uh, it's interesting that Rose... Rose is a, overall a very interesting and complex character. Yes. And what I like is that Flanagan gives them the room to, with yes. very brief strokes, delineate how complex their characters are. Um, with uh, Snakebite, Right, and all these characters have nicknames. Yeah, so she goes. Mm-hmm. She's she's given the name Snake by Dandy, by Rose. Right. We don't know what Crow's real name is. It's Crow just Daddy. Crow, Crow Daddy. Yeah, Crow. He's, because he's Native American. He's Crow, um, and <laughs> oddly, he's the tracker. So there's that. <laughs> but, yeah, it's that's a little unfortunate. But the fact that you the get to tracker. See, always the Native American. The fact that you get to see a Native American actor play Native American, to me, that's revolutionary growing up when I did. That's true. When Native Americans were played by Italian actors. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's an interesting exchange between these two characters where she compels uh, Snakebite to only say the truth, and her truth is, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And to which Rose is responding, thank you. And it's yeah. there's a lot of vanity to her performance, too. There's She's aware of how attractive yeah. she is. At one point later in the film, uh, when uh, uh, Danny asks her, are there more out there like you? She says, oh, there's many more, but I'm the cutest, or I'm the prettiest. Yes. There's, there's yeah. a whole kind of element of... She that, hits on Danny and real she, hardcore, too, later right. in the movie. I'm just like, oh, Well, she hey. keeps calling him handsome. Yes. Um, but there's what how she appeals to Snakebite is to say how attractive and pretty you are right now. Gravity hasn't touched you yet. Yeah. Would you like to slow this process down to where in 50 years you'll be 17 years old? You right. know, In 100 you'll be, yeah, right. 20 so maybe. The better yeah. you eat or the more of these people that you consume... Um, their essence, the longer you'll stay Well, alive. she doesn't say any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Because Andy doesn't know what... Well, she doesn't say anything about the essence yet, no. Happens. But she does promise her youth. They, yes, she beauty. promises her youth, and they're late, and, and when they do the ceremony, mm-hmm. well, let's start the other place that we're in 2011. All right. It, well, no, let's, let's finish uh, Andy's turning. Um... Because this all still happens in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she agrees that she, they're out, out on a beach somewhere, it looks like. They're circled around her. They basically are like, do you, you know, does she take our lives to be hers and her lives to be ours? Mm-hmm. And they yeah, say yes, say yes. And then they open this canister of steam which is the essence of these kids, mm-hmm. which Rose breathes in and then breathes into Andy, which turns out kills her. And right. then she is resurrected. 
and then when she asks the next morning, am I still human? Rose says, do you care? And I'm like, well, even if she does, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's that, too late for that no. There is a yes or no answer to that question. And my, my answer to that question is, no, she is not human anymore. Which I wouldn't know one way. Like, I wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily make that call until you see them die. Right. And you're like, oh, yeah, no, that's not that's a not person. That's not do. That's not. No. So that is Andy's little um, in, uh, entree to the group. Right. Uh, meanwhile, we have young Abra Stone. She is celebrating her fifth birthday. I will say we... We get more Abra in this. Mm-hmm. We see her practicing her piano not one night, right. and then she goes to bed, and then her parents are awoken by the piano playing itself later that right, night, exactly. which was not in the theatrical cut. And then we have uh, her at her birthday party. She's got a fifth grade, or her her five. She's turning five. Mm-hmm. She's got a birthday party. She's got a magician, and. Uh, she says, I can do magic, too. And the magician's like, sure, sure, kid. Here's a magic wand or whatever. And then they go into the house. Her parents go into the house, and all of the spoons are floating on the ceiling, right. which is what the magician had, quote-unquote, done magically. Right. Uh, and it is clear that Abra is uh, very powerful. And she just is like, it's magic. And... Then, meanwhile, so so that's that's our introduction to Abra. And then we have Dan. Dan has left this child behind and has g- gathered his dollars together and is like, how far can I go with this? And gets a ticket to Fraser, North... Nope, New Hampshire. Not North Hampshire. New Hampshire. Frazier, New Hampshire, to start a new life. He uh, gets off the bus and is immediately uh, in the cutest town that ever was Mm -hmm. uh, that has a a tiny version of itself in its town square. It's very cute and I like it a lot. And he is, uh, he has the good fortune of coming across one Cliff Curtis playing Billy Freeman. uh, And Cliff sees in Dan need and goodness and hooks him up with a, $85 $85 a week room, pays the first two weeks. The rest is on Dan himself. Dan has a w- wakes up, I guess, probably that next day. Mm-hmm. Has a nightmare where he sees the spirit of the woman that he had left behind and her dead baby. Right. Because they it's just saying they still haven't found us yet. Because they're, I leave the baby alone a lot, so they're used to hearing its cry. And I'm like, well, that's so deeply fucked up. Uh, that they still haven't found us yet, and then he we see the deceased baby and the deceased there's woman. A, there's a a trigger warning we should give people um, about the scenes Can- of the film and the baby. Uh, the woman naked, lying face down in her vomit, is a hard one. The ghost baby with a hair full of maggots is an even harder one. I miss the maggots. I, my, yes. my eyes just glazed over. Right. I was like, no, can't take that in, so I won't. And <laughs> so it's, I think that the, and, and we know this about Stephen King again, he admitted that when he wrote The Shining, he was an alcoholic. Of course, yes. He was a functioning alcoholic. Functioning. And when he wrote Dr. Sleep so many years later. He was clean. He was clean. 
uh, alcoholic. So um, there's a real kind of gospel track track against alcoholism and the effects that it has on your life. And those scenes really kind of, and it's not in a bad way. I don't think it's against alcoholism. I think it's a, he's able to write when, when he was writing Jack Torrance, Mm -hmm. Torrance, he was writing from within Jack Torrance. When he's writing Danny and Jack in Dr. Sleep, he's writing a much more nuanced global view of a character because he can see multiple sides now. Right, but what we're seeing here is that these images are, are as harsh as they are because it is telling you about the the train wreck of your life right. when you're... But it also, we need him to hit rock bottom so right. that he goes, which he does, he goes to mm-hmm. Billy's um, room, which is in the same boarding boarding mm-hmm. house, I guess, which is a thing in the East Coast still, I guess? Not so much around here, but oh, back there I imagine it is, and considering the time period that it starts in, yeah. Um, and says, I need help, basically, right. and He's like, great. And they go to a meeting. And uh, John Dalton, Dr. John Dalton, played by Bruce Greenwood, Mm -hmm. is at this meeting. uh, And uh, he's introduced, or Billy introduces him at the end. And he is like, uh, as, as Bruce... As uh, I guess his name is Dr. Dalton, mm-hmm. goes to leave. He says, You lost your watch. You were worried about the kid with Goochers. Gooch? And he's like, Crochet? Yeah. <laughs> Sidron, he said, Yeah, you were washing your hands in the bathroom and you left it on the paper towel dispenser. Um, so just check the paper towel dispenser. Yeah. And then, of course, we see the a cut to the next day, I guess. Where Bruce Greenwood has called him into his office and is like, uh, how did you do that, though? And <laughs> Danny has the audacity to say, uh, lucky guess. Right. And I'm just like, in what world <laughs> would anyone of any level of intelligence or sobriety believe that? And he's like, so what are you doing? Uh, I see you have some orderly experience. Uh, I volunteer at a hospice. They're always looking for somebody. And at this point, Dan is working on the, you know, the town little mini train in the middle, a couple of shifts, but he needs to find work. And so he goes to work uh, at the hospice uh, because what Dalton asks, you know, are you squeamish around the dead or the dying, not the dead, the Mm -hmm. dying and Dan's like, we're all dying. It's just Earth is just an open air hospice, and I'm like, I mean, that's, well, yeah, that's true. My original response was, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm fine with the dying. It's the dead that are real assholes to me. Yeah, right. Yeah, the dying seem well, totally fine. Yes. Uh, so during an early night shift, uh, Dan is mopping the floor. He notices the cat whose name is Azriel, but goes by Azzy, goes into the room of an elderly man and uh, I'm sorry. He goes to check. I know, it's so silly. It's like a, what is it? It's a beautiful ragdoll cat that I love right. very much and would love to have in my house, but maybe don't sleep on my bed. There's a horror movie called The Equinox, and there's a, a park ranger who is the villain. His name is 
park ranger Asmodeus, and I'm like, doesn't anybody like? No, nobody does. Nobody does. You do, but, but I, nobody else does. Yeah, but the cat. It's just like you name a cat something like that. Of course, there's something about the cat. Right? He goes to shoo Azzy out, mm-hmm. and the the old man who's in there is like, no, I knew she'd be coming today. She always knows. And then knows is gonna die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so as this man is dying, Dan is like, oh, should I get a doctor? And he goes, nope, you're up here and you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And uh, Dan helps him pass mm-hmm. by telepathically basically just saying it's going to be fine. Um, and then the man nicknames him Dr. Sleep, which makes it sound like he's about to take a turn and become an angel of mercy, but he's not. No. Uh, and then the older man dies, uh, and you can see his breath leaving his body. And when Dan returns home, he founds Hello written on his chalk. He's got a chalk wall. Yeah, he's got a chalk wall that was left by a previous tenant who was a yeah. mathematician or Mathemati- something. Yeah, yeah. Math, math student. Uh, and he, it says Hello with a smiley face in the O, and he, he writes back Hi. And then we see Abra smile and mm-hmm. go to sleep. And then, doodly, 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 doodly. Eight years later, uh, present day 2019, I believe we are now in chapter three. Let me see. We're going to chapter three, Little Spy. We fast forward to present day. So it's 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Sober. So he's getting his eight year trip. And he talks about his dad and how he remembers right before his dad died. Seeing him with a chip like this, it was a five-month chip, mm. which which Jack had as they went to the Overlook. And then, of course, he backslid uh, spectacularly <laughs> not <laughs> and murdered everybody. No, not his fault, but not great. And he talks about how, you know, his dad died when he was five, and so he didn't really get to know him until he was drinking, and then he understood him. Which is like, as a child of an alcoholic, is a that's a rough like mm. that speech is very good, and it's longer in the director's cut. Um, I think Flanagan lets him sort of um and ah a mm. little bit more the way that you would naturally in this situation, yeah. uh, and I think it works uh, pretty nicely. Uh, he works still as an orderly. He's still eight years later living in an eighty-five dollar a week room. I don't know if the I doubt the fucking rent has gone up, though. And I'm like, and at some point you could probably get like a real apartment, but you do you, boo. Well, if he's trying to recover, if he wants his friend downstairs, his yeah, best friend, to help I him. I just feel like. Bad nights. He doesn't have a refrigerator uh-huh. or a, a kitchen. Right. Which means he doesn't make any food for himself. Which means he is eating out or processed food constantly. That yeah. cannot be good for you. Anyway, but it's better, I guess, than the gallons of whiskey that he um, consumes. Uh, and then he also maintains contact on the chalkboard with Abra, but mm-hmm. it's um, few and far between. Right. And then we see the true knot. And the true knot's suffering a little bit. They're relying on leftovers, um, basically, the canisters that they have. Mm-hmm. And we see Crow is trying to track a kid who he thinks is in Iowa. Uh, and 
and talks to Rose and is like, are we running low? And she's like, of course not. And I'm like, mm, that's a lie. If only one of you knows what the stat the status of the shit is, that's not good. Uh, I like that Rose's move when he asks that question is to creep into his arms and try to seduce him. He's like, yeah. wait, no. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> this obviously is a trap. Um, and he's like, I might need it to trap track him. Like, uh-huh. we might need to feed because everybody's looking sh- like bad. Right. And I might need it to and boost what's the name of the giant? That's, uh... Uh, Grandpa Flick. Okay. Uh, and so then they're able to track the player. His name is Bradley Trevor. He's a very good baseball player because it's as though he can uh, sense what, or read the pitcher's mind. Now, we hear that all from a dad in the stands Mm -hmm. of a Little League game. But not his dad, not Bradley's dad, because then we see Bradley after the game walking, you know, down the road between corn at home. And I'm like, well, you care about this kid getting picked, you know, you know, getting scouted and whatever, but you Mm -hmm. can't give this kid a ride home. Okay. And this kid, this is, this is actually played by Jacob Tremblay. Is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Of room fame. And a child who has starred in several movies at this point. I just don't know when it was recorded or filmed where he's... Because he's only in five minutes of it. Yeah. Five prolonged minutes. Prolonged minutes of it, yes. Uh, Because the the True Knot does, in fact, find him and does, in fact, take him to... Looks like an abandoned refinery, I believe. And does, in fact, torture and kill him Uh for his shine. Steam. There's a lot of terms that I'm getting mixed up. Now, we we find out here that it is not just the shine, but that it is amplified by fear and pain. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the kids That's are convenient. tortured. I think this scene might have actually gone longer in the director's it, cut. It did. Certainly. I mean, it because it, this is a kid squalling and screaming. Yeah. And she repeatedly stabs him in the yeah. legs. Um, and they bloat themselves on him. It's it's very disturbing. And this is what wakes Abra out of her sleep. Yes, she and, has a nightmare seeing mm-hmm. this. She is screaming, stop, 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 and Rose senses her screaming right. from New Hampshire or whatever. Because she's actually very close mm-hmm. ge- geographically to right. where Dan is, even though they've never met. And uh, Rose calls her, refers to her as a looker, looker Mm -hmm. and as she's screaming also she wakes dan up knocks him out of his bed and then he looks in the mirror next to his bed and sees the chalk wall behind him and red rum has come he reads red rum and when you look directly at it Mm -hmm. of course it says murder with the r backwards uh, that but it is broken into the wall right it's it's actually shattered the really lovely yeah blackboard that he had yeah so he sees murder he writes who, and he always writes, he doesn't think to her. Mm-hmm. It is not a thing that he has allowed. She will sometimes get in his head, yes. but he won't do that that way. And actually, I don't know that they do until they meet. Um, 
He says who, and she says baseball boy, and then the true knot buries Bradley in a shallow grave. Shallow grave is very sad. And then we see Abra at school doing research into Bradley's disappearance, and you can see that she can fully read all these kids' minds, right. which is a nightmare. <laughs> to, 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 like, so she, if this is eight years later, she's 13 years old. Right. To teen kids, Sweet Jesus. it's very easy to tell what they're thinking. It's all these yeah, almost but always nasty also, and it's, uh, Because when the bully is thinking those terrible things about you, you mm-hmm. don't need to actually, like, right. you don't need confirmation. Oh, it's so bad. It's it's rough. So she's um, looking in at, at Missing Kids Database, which I don't know that school libraries should have access to that, but okay. And when she gets home to her room, she's sort of like, thinks out and tries to have tries to re-see where the true knot is and where they are and she goes over to her window and she puts her hands on the rim of the window the mm-hmm. sill and then like floats up so she is parallel to the floor and then drops down and sort of lands inside rose who is grocery shopping and rose kind of gets a niggling that some shit's afoot right and she goes up to a glass, like a freezer display, looks in and sort of tries to flip it on her uh-huh. so that she's then inside of Abra's head. And Abra pushes her out so hard that Rose flies across the store mm-hmm. twice. And the and the glass blows out. It's right. like a big old mess. And um, she's both amazed and threatened by this power. And she t- lets she goes to talk to Crow, saying that this shine might be too powerful, and we've got to destroy her. Now Rose's feelings about what to do with Abra uh, adjust, adjust, adjust. But she always, as far as I know, or as far as I can remember, she doesn't ever just say we're going to kill her yeah. without either. Her. We're going to either eat her. And when when Crow hears what she can do. Mm-hmm. She says, well, is she food or is she one of us? And immediately Rose is like, she is, we are not turning her because... The alternative that she gives him is that he, she's going to become a cow. And then, yeah, right. she comes back with this idea of, well, maybe we don't, maybe neither. Right. Maybe, yeah, when you have a cow that you can mm-hmm. slaughter for beef, it's gone, it's one and done, it's yeah, gone. But if, if you have a cow that you're milking... Right. That cow can last a long time. And they haven't had good food. There's a lot of conversations in this movie about how, whether it's the internet or TV or us sitting on our asses or what, the sh- there, there isn't as much shine mm-hmm. and it's not as strong. Right. Uh, and I'm also like, well, don't you also kill all the strong shine well, it. when it, it's it, babies and can't procreate? Right. So you are doing this to they're yourself. They're hunting them into extinction. Yeah. Is what they're doing. I, I thought that was a really interesting conversation in itself. The idea that they're diminishing all of their food and eventually they're going to run out. Yeah. Because yeah, they because mean, they don't die, right? right. So they're, they're not... Yeah. It's, yeah. A, the food chain is getting stuck. Yes. Yeah. The, the process where the predators take out the sick and the weak, no, they're taking out the right. exact prey that they need. Right. And unfortunately, as you pointed out, since they can't reproduce... It's, 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 it's indicated in all of these stories where there is a shine or right. of this specialness that there is a genetic component to it. Yeah. It doesn't just come necessarily just come out of nowhere. Sometimes it's latent for a long time and then mm-hmm. it's real strong in a kid. Right. Um, in the book, Dr. Sleep... Abra is Danny's actual niece. niece. Okay. Uh, 
in this, they do not make that distinction, though she does call him Uncle Dan so that if an a, you know, a middle-aged man and, and a teenage girl, yeah. he's like, I cannot be seen with you. Like, this is not... I don't want to go to jail for this. And he's yeah. like, she's like, you're my Uncle Dan. And she is played by a... a well, I don't know if the actress is mixed, uh-huh. but the act, the the young lady who, who plays Abra, or I should say, the the couple that play her parents are uh-huh. a black man and a white woman. Right. Um. So she is mixed in the movie. So Dan could absolutely be her uncle on her mom's side. Um, and. So that is what happens next. Abra bails for, from school and uh, gets on a bus because we know what, where the buses go. They go to Fraser, New Hampshire, and she gets off if a I bus. If I took a bus at the street corner right now, I would wind up in New Hampshire. I guess so. That's what happens. With $8. Yes. And she she shows up, um, and he is working on the train. So he's right there where she gets off. So she comes over, and she says, hi, in her head. And they, he's like, he motions to Billy, like, I'm going to be a minute. And he goes and they sit on a bench together. And that's when he's like, she goes, she says, um, you can hear me, right? In her head. Mm-hmm. And he's like, let's use our outside voices. There's a lot of, <laughs> uh, a lot of nice humor in this film, too. Yes. And, uh, and he's like, I can't, we can't hang out. Like, mm-hmm. that's not going to be okay. And he's like, she's like, you're my Uncle Dan, if anybody asks. And then she shakes his hand, and then she's like, "So I'm gonna chase these motherfuckers down." And he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like they, you need to not shine and right. be as dark as possible, and hope that they never f- find you. That's what you need to do." And she's like, "I mean, I hear you, but I'm a sassy young lady, and I am going to do what the fuck I am going to do." And uh, but it is nice to hear them talk about it because. Danny doesn't really talk about it with anybody, has never, except Dick. Mm. That's it. Uh, and But she, he basically tries to shut her down, which he's trying to shut down a 13-year-old, and I don't know. He doesn't have well, his own, so maybe he doesn't know, but what you are doing is fruitless. Yes, it's so fruitless. Is, I, I think that what he's also doing is trying to save her life, because yes, his of experience is only dealing with of monsters. Course. And of these course. monsters unlike the ones that he's dealt with, can't be locked inside the boxes. Yes. They're a physical threat as well. And I think he also understands that she is powerful, but I don't think he understands how powerful, how she, powerful is. she is. Um, or how powerful he is, because he basically totally stopped using the shine, except right. to lock up these boxes. And we have seen images into his head where it is the snow maze, snow the maze, maze, the maze covered in snow, covered in snow right. with all of these boxes. Just a ton of boxes. Just boxes for days. A whole ballroom of, of yeah. remnants and evil spirits and God knows what else that was at the yeah. hotel. At which point we actually kind of find out when and how. Because that night, Dan follows Azzy into another bedroom. Mm-hmm. where And he's like, you've got your wires crossed, Cat, because there's nobody in there. Mm-hmm. And he goes in and Dick is there. Right. And so he has a little conversation about... Uh, with with uh, with Dick, who I should say at the at the first time we had the conversation when it was he was young mm-hmm. Danny, wh- who's also played by a little boy who looks very much yeah. like the little boy who played Danny in the um, Kubrick Shining. Uh, he said, you know, D- 
Danny's like, you said there were pictures in a book and they couldn't hurt you. And Danny's like, or no, Dick's like, mm, yes, and also no, and also here's this box trick. But now Dick is like, okay, well, you're a grown-ass man now, so I'm going to tell you, these things can fuck you <laughs> up. So, like, you, and also, well, he says, you know, it's been a long time. Dick's like, I don't follow time, so mm. what's it been, like, eight years? And he's like, it's been about eight years. Dick is like, this is my last time here, but I need to tell you that the true knot is uh, fucking terrible, and you gotta you gotta protect this baby. Mm-hmm. Like you can't let them have her. And uh, then we get some back and forth between Rose and Abra. Uh, Rose thinks that she's gonna go and uh, well, well, Abra's asleep, ruffle around in her brain, but Abra sets a fucking trap. We have another degloving. Could we not? Mike Flanagan. He I, saw I, it once and he's like, I got to do it again and again and I again. Those <laughs> scenes are really surreal and very well done. Yeah. And they remind me of oh, stories that go back to, you know, uh, pulp horror from the 20s where people have astral battles. And they, yes. And, I really like uh-huh. the astral projection in this movie. I like uh-huh. the way that it is um, depicted. Yeah. And I almost never like that. I always have, a, like, an issue with it. But I like it here. I also like it in, um... Insidious? Yes, that. Insidious. I like the way that they do it in there, too. Deciduous. 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 It's a horror film about plants. It's a twee. Like the happening. It's happening. It's the trees, guys. The trees. Rose goes into Abra's room, sees a lump in the bed, and doesn't investigate any further mm-hmm. than that. And I'm like, you're dumb! You don't also don't have kids. And, um turns to this filing cabinet wall that Abra has set up for her. And there's one of them that's a little bit open. And she goes, oh, what's in this? And I'm like, a fucking trap. And then sure enough, she goes into that drawer and that door slams on her hand and she can't get it out. And she does, in fact, rip much of her flesh off of her hand Mm -hmm. in order to get out. Uh, And then she snaps back to her regular, her regular body, which I believe falls off of the top of her RV. Yeah, because a very <laughs> like, well-staged where she slams into her body, she rolls over, and then just falls off her off RV. Off the RV onto the ground. As ungracefully as you can, which I'm sure just wrinkles her to no end. Yes, yes, for sure. So then she's up and she's screaming that there's a trap, there was a trap, there was a trap, and Crow is like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Like, calm down. And then... um one of their other guys comes over, I want to say it's the Chunk, mm-hmm. and he's like, um, there's an emergency, and Rose is like, not now! And they're like, Grandpa Flick is cycling. So one of their caravan, uh, Grandpa Flick, as mm-hmm. we said, uh, is dying. Played by Carl Strickland, who also appeared in Doctor Sleep. He did. He was the Moonlight Man. Yes, he has an interesting characteristic for an actor. He's seven feet tall. Yes, he's got agromegaly. Yeah. Agromegalia. It's giantism, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was also Lurch in the Addams Family movies in the middle, and Mr. Hom in Star Trek. Which is where I first saw him. It's like, who's that remarkably tall man? But here, he really, he gets to actually speak. Yeah. Yeah, he does a lot of non-speaking roles. Like, uh, well, he doesn't need to speak when you're seven feet tall. It creates yeah. an impression no matter yes. what you do. But uh, he does a really good scene where he's apparently cycling means that he's in some sort of stages of death that follow each other rapidly, where his 
physical. Yeah, or... it's like all of the regeneration and then de- decay mm-hmm. that he has done over and over again right. is done in just like rapid f- form. So he is he is flickering, mm-hmm. and then he grays out. But in the meantime, yeah, there's a whole conversation with him and Rose who takes them sort of through. She's their Dr. Death, I guess. Mm. Or Dr. Sleep, I guess. Um, And then when he finally dies, you're aware of how inhuman they are because he literally just turns into vapors. He turns into vapors and then they breathe them all up. Right. Because they are starving. That is what's happening. They are starving. Uh, And then Abra is like, oh, so I did this thing. And she's like, oh, jeez. And he goes, and she goes, no, you need, we need to do something. They buried him in a shallow grave. His family doesn't know where he is. Mm-hmm. We need to do something. And if you get his baseball glove, I can track them because one of their members had it on, right. wore it She's before they buried him with it. And yes, she has a lot of power. She yeah. has, she's a multi. Telepathy, psychokinesis, psychometry. She's, yeah, she's, yeah, a total package. Yes. And. At which point Dan and like enlists Billy, who's his uh-huh. best friend at this point. Um, and I love a Cliff Curtis, so give me more of that, please. Um, and they drive out to Iowa and they find his body. Uh, and they vomit. <laughs> and we hear a story about Billy who had shot at a buck and then chased, tracked it for two days to find its rotting carcass mm-hmm. and it was that smell that death smell that they could smell coming up from the the um the ground now during the full drive out to Iowa Billy it, Abra and Dan are talking to each other but Abra's not there so Billy is just like trusting that his friend hasn't totally lost his goddamn mind as he's having full-on conversations with people who are not in the vehicle. Uh, And they take the glove back to Abra's house, at which point they are confronted by Abra's dad, who's like, why are you, what do you, get the fuck away from my daughter. Middle-aged men don't need to have anything to do with my daughter. And Dan's like, didn't you t- didn't you show him? And Abra's like, well, I tried to tell him. And he's like, that's not the same thing. And so Abra puts hands on her dad and basically fills him in telepathically. Okay, she doesn't put hands on him. She puts mind on him. She but she touches him. Right, but she puts like a whole... Yeah, she basically downloads everything that's happened into mm-hmm. him. Right. And then we oh, go... I thought you meant earlier when she like literally psychically attacks her dad. She when he's about to beat the but hell out. But I think of, he she touches him. I, I think she grabs him. I don't remember that. I remember him having noise in his head, like she turned the volume up. On oh, something. maybe maybe that's what it is. She does kind of psychically attack him, mm-hmm. and then they go inside. His hands shaking. He's drinking alcohol. He offers it to the two men, mm-hmm. and they're both you know sober, so they're not gonna right. take it. And he's like, "So what? What's what's happening now?" And they give her the baseball glove, and he. They know, or she's like, I know where they are. I, I can, you know, I can see mm-hmm. them. She, we see her in the RV with them, and we see that they have dispatched this group to get her. Right. And it is Crow Daddy. It is Andy. It is the Chunk. Chunk. Bite. 
Um, and then, uh, like, f- I think there are like seven altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like, I, there, there may be in Massachusetts, but they're getting close. And so they decide to do a bait. They do a bait. They do a bait into the woods um, to lure, using Abra, they lure the, the true knot that mm-hmm. has come into the, into the woods. Who's really there, of course, is Dan and Billy with guns and not Abra because uh, that would be stupid to take her into the woods. She's a child, but she's basically throwing her astral body out. Right. Uh, They find her. She's sitting. The other thing is Rose had said that she was going to plant worms into Abra's head, making her pliable to them Mm -hmm. and excited to meet the true knot. Making right. them think that they're friends. So that is what they walk into. And Andy is like, oh, you know, this, you know, after everything I heard, I thought this was going to be harder. And she puts the a needle into the neck, into Abra's neck. And then we look back and it's not Abra. It is a bunny rabbit. It is a stuffed rabbit. At which point Dan and Billy open fucking fire and they kill Almost all of them. Um, they kill uh, everyone we see. I'm going to say it's about six people. Right. Uh, Andy is hit a couple of times. Almost gets to the uh, the RV when uh, Billy f- shoots her up close <clears throat> after she attacks Dan, right. uh, who's on the ground at this point. So Dan and Andy are pretty close to each other on the ground. And as Andy is dying, she's also cycling, turning gray, and you can see, like, mm-hmm. this corpse underneath it. And Billy walks towards her because he's, like, horrified and intrigued by what he is seeing right. in front of him. And Dan's like, don't go near her. And she says, kill yourself. And what does she do? She can push. And instantly... I hate it so much. <laughs> Billy shoots himself in the head. It sucks so bad. It sucks what so bad. I'll tell you what I like about that scene, and I mentioned it at the time. It reminds me of, I'd just seen A Race with the Devil, which is one of those 70s action movies with the downbeat endings yes. and all the violence. And there wasn't a fear. A decade later, you're watching a Rambo film where people run through minefields and don't seem to get blown up. Yeah, no. They got this shot is... up. This is very much like... It's like you're watching it happen, happening. Yeah. It's really brutal. And the fact that Snakebite Andy is a really interesting character because in the very beginning, you want to be sympathetic with her. She's catching pedophiles and living off of them. Yes. and so, Because she doesn't right. really have a choice. She's probably been kicked out by her parents for being freaky. Right. Or she had a single mom who got jealous of her because well, this, this is a very see, young woman who's already got men interested what you're in doing her. in this film, even there, is that you're giving her some sympathy. Yeah. Right? And that's what you instinctively do for yeah. her. Yeah, yeah, And then it turns out, no, she's just as much a piece of shit as the rest of these people. Well, but also, she's right. been because dead she's, and turned yeah. for eight years. So she doesn't have humanity left. giggling to herself that she took one out. Yeah. And yes. that whole character is like, no, Joe, she's evil. No, so, she's the worst, yeah. And it so, sucks. It yeah. sucks, because Billy was just doing good. He was right. just out here fight, not fighting his mm-hmm. fight. He right. doesn't understand what the hell is happening, but he, he knows that these that are monsters. Is, right. He understands that they're evil. The The conversation he has with uh, Danny in the truck, yeah, right, where or the car, yeah. 
where they're having this discussion. I don't want to believe that what you're telling me is true, and I'm hoping we don't find something, but I'm trusting you. And then when they actually find the body, it's a completely normal reaction. They just start throwing they up. They just the start thing. throwing up. And he says, they buried him shallow. Mm-hmm. They didn't even bury him right. deep. Like, like, they cared so little about... And when Danny tells him they're not human, he goes, no, no one human could do that. But he still isn't grasping the fact that they're not human. But he doesn't quite understand, like, no, no. When I say not human, I mean, like, literally a different species. It's the difference between you and a raccoon or something. It's not like we're even, they Um, look like us, but they're not like us at all. And then meanwhile, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. we hear Abra in in Danny's head saying, there's something wrong, we missed something, where's Crow? Mm -hmm. At which point we see Abra in her kitchen, who she's sitting in the same position that she had seen, or she, we had just seen her on the picnic bench in in the woods, mm-hmm. but she's in her kitchen, and we see the crow um, sink a needle into her neck. Right. Because they knew her address. They've known her address this whole time, unfortunately. Uh, because when she pushed Rose out, she caused an earthquake, but only on this one street. So mm. they, Rose knew exactly where she was when she went searching for her astrally and, and knew the house number after, you know, she got there. So, um, they knew exactly, exactly, um, where to go. And we do find out that he kills her father. Uh, and she keeps, she is waking up. She's been drugged. She's behind him in the car and she's been drugged and he's got a gun on him. And, she, you know, they're talking. There's a little bit of villain monologuing, a little bit of this is our plan, right? right. Um, which is basically, um, you know, I've used more of this on you than anybody I've ever used on before, but, and I'll keep dosing you as much as I have to because uh, you're not, you're, uh, but you don't have any powers. Mm-hmm. He says, she doesn't have powers, but she does. She does, but also this comes into what you said earlier, is that Danny doesn't realize how how powerful he is either. That's right. And so he's yes. able to reach this And because they have this connection. Right. Now, it, like I said in the book, the connection is, is even stronger because it is actual blood connection right. to them. Um, so they don't have that explicitly in this, but they are very much located and uh Abra is able to get a hold of Dan mm-hmm. and Dan is able to they're able to switch places. Dan right. goes into her head um and is talking to Crow. She's like he's like, you know, trust me. Do you trust me? And she's like, I mean, what are my fucking options? Yes, yeah, but what are my options? Um and uh he sits up and he starts talking to Crow and Crow's like, who's this? Because <laughs> he realizes pretty quickly that, and that's why I really like the piece of acting on mm-hmm. Abra, the, the actress yeah. for, that plays Abra's part because she's doing Hugh McGregor, this basically. Is Karen, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. I like her a lot. And, um, he's basically like, man, you know, I'm so long that you're just, just hubris, just hubris. And she's like, and he's like, what do you mean? And he goes, you're not wearing a seatbelt. And earlier, mm-hmm. he he and Abra had switched places very suddenly. She's like, I want to show you a trick. Right. And they, she had switched places with him while he was driving, and they almost got in an accident. And he basically takes her trick and does mm-hmm. it to Crow, causing them to crash. 
and he gets flung through the windshield, and Abra is, you know, belted in, so she's in pain, right? And she's able to get out, but she sees that, and Crow is cycling. Right. And he ends up dying. Does she kill him? Does she finish her? Does she take his gun and kill him? She No, 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 she doesn't. Or does Dan, using her body, take his gun and kill him? Or does I he die? I think he just dies. He He's just already dies. dying. There's no need to, to do that. But I like okay. the effect that it has on Rose. Because her... She had seen uh, all of the other people killed. As, like, as mm-hmm. they were being picked off, we were going back to see Rose because they left her behind mm-hmm. because she was a liability. Right. We already knew Abra could get in our head. And she also has this weird, like, um, almost like a competitive thing with this girl. Right. Like, she was going to be a problem. Well, and she's wounded. Um, uh, Crow tells her that. He yeah. tells her, you know, you're the queen bitch. Nobody's... Yeah. You, you've de- designated yourself that way. Yeah. And another thing that... Um, is an interesting element of her character that I picked up this time is that she keeps referring to Abra as the white whale. Yes. So this is very much like... Yeah, which may be more added right. in the, the director's film. cut. Right, or the... Because... <sighs> she is Ahab, you know, and she will... She'll destroy everything right, which together. Which means the whole character... Ahab yeah. destroys, gets everyone killed because he has a focus. Yeah. And so it's there's an element of that at this point where she realizes everyone is dead now. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. And you see her sc- she she's doing a lot of screaming work. Mm-hmm. Scream as her family. Right. In as much as they could be right. are killed one after the other and then we see Crow die and she screams longer than ever or lo- uh-huh. longer than she had before. She gets down, she goes and she just starts fucking downing the steam that's in right. the First of all, she's not alone. Right. I don't think everyone but her went, but we don't see anybody else now. Yeah. She is going rogue, she's on her own, and she's taking all the steam with her. All y'all can go fuck yourselves. And it's not like they have to save much now, because they just lost Flick and, right. like, seven of their party. Well, right? Like, also, what she notices is that when she's inhaling the steam from the canisters, her hand cures itself. Yes. So she had been, she's going into this more powerful yeah, more than powerful. she would have been before. Yes, and because she still had that scar on the back of her hand mm-hmm. from the right. the gloving incident, yeah. and, and she hadn't been taking steam enough to so heal herself it back it, it up. It mends itself. It mends itself. So she's going in strong, and um, Dan. We see Dan meeting Abra, uh, finding her on the road, mm-hmm. and then they drive off. Abra falls asleep and wakes up, apologizes. It's fine. They're going to Colorado. They're driving to Colorado. Y'all, they're going to Colorado. It's getting fucking real up in here. They're going to the Overlook. Yeah, like I said, this was a great moment for me in the theater going, holy shit, this is going to get wild. Yes. Before it it changes. And this, it takes, because there's a lot of turns to this movie. Yeah. At times, it's an action movie. Yes. There is a lot like, going on in this right. movie, and yeah. There's a, there's very few movies that kind of match that pace where it can go horror, it can go action, it's a supernatural thriller. Yeah. And at this point, when they go to the Overlook, this is such a loaded place. It's so loaded, right. and it's dangerous to him, mm-hmm. and it's dangerous to Abra, but right. it's also probably the only place on Earth that they are aware of that it's also dangerous to Rose. Right. They are... And because Danny knows what's there, he's right. got a little bit of a leg up. Well, again, to draw a parallel to an earlier thing where it doesn't work, 
it is a minefield, but he knows where the mines he are. He knows where the mines are. And and in a lot of cases, he's planting them himself. Right. Um, so we see him go through the hotel, which is so fun. It's so good. We see flashes back to how it was. We see how it is now. He goes up to the broken door. He sits at the bar, and he has mm-hmm. a whole conversation with Henry Thomas, who is playing both... Jack Torrance, uh-huh. that's who he's playing. He's playing right. Jack Torrance. But Jack Torrance in the in the role of Lloyd, the bartender. So he is doing both of those things. It's it's filmed almost entirely in profile, profile mm-hmm. because Henry Thomas doesn't look a lot like Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. But from the side, with his face pinched in a certain way, and he's got like a lo- that long hair going on and the mm-hmm. and the high hairline. Right. It's you know, yeah, it's workable. Yeah. We get it. We know who this is. Um, this conversation back and forth, and Dan is like, you know, sort of trying to be like, I want to tell you about my life since you died. And it's really interesting because I think the thing about The Overlook and Dan now, The Overlook attaches to a very particular white male burden Mm -hmm. that is the tack it takes that's the tack it took with jack and it worked you have to deal with this child and this woman who like can't do her wifely duties and you know is a bad mother and you're just put upon by everything like you just can't live your life because you're put upon by all these responsibilities and and that resentment is what it it latched into right. both in Jack Torrance and in the prior caretaker. It was this, it was almost the same, and so I think that it sees white man and it tries to take that tack. And I that Danny doesn't have that resentment. Danny doesn't have that mm-hmm. that white man's burden. And he literally feel. invokes the white man's burden, but when he refers uh, to um, Dick the way that he does. That's true, it's, it's, but he. I mean, right. it's 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 said explicitly too in the. Um, I think in the job interview mm-hmm. in the Kubrick version, right. like it's explicitly. But that is what the Overlook is. That it's that's a sort of its first attack on on white men, mm-hmm. and we see it here. And it, I, I'm like, I, Danny doesn't have that. That yeah. is not what's gonna get him. Right, he sees the weakness that that is and he sort of sees it as pathetic and he's right. like that's not that's not my pro- I've got problems that is not my problem and I'm not going to be like oh you you understand me like it's no. not it's so but it's really that's really interesting I, to I me. think that scene also it's very sad that he cannot get his dad to break character no his dad is now Lloyd yeah but then he does break character a little bit at the very end yeah um before he downs the drink that he mm-hmm. previously offered to Dan that Dan won't drink. And and that's, I think, also just the hotel being mad that he won't do right. the thing that they want him to do, right? He won't fall into the slot they prepared for him. And uh, Dan and Rose... Rose arrives, and and we see her kind of walking through the various parts of the thing, and we see her having experiences like the elevator of blood, and mm-hmm. it is unclear whether this is a memory... Or a thing that is actively happening now. It doesn't okay. really matter. Right. Um, but we get to see some of those images again. And then 
Dan and Abra are standing on the stairs. He's got the axe in his hand. And she comes up and she's like, who the fuck are you? Because you fine as hell. I mean, she basically, she doesn't say that, but she basically says that. She's like, because now she's also, I think, like, well, I got a fucking true not to rebuild. Right. So what's this? What's this? Who's this? I'd fuck him. <laughs> and uh, Dan tells Abra to run and then they go into the maze. Mm-hmm. And sh- and Rose thinks that she's following Abra in the maze. They're in the snowy maze, mm-hmm. the, outlo- the overlooked snowy maze. And uh, she sees somebody running and she's walking, she's walking through and she's like, well, this is way better than, you know, the room that I was in before. Because she had, like, offhandedly been like, your mind palaces are such garbage. Right. Mine's great. And yours is crap. And he's like, she's like, this is good. This is good. Like, this is Abra is taunting her and then is able to like run, like disappear and then run behind Rose and cut her on the back of her legs. Mm -hmm. So she's doing these little damages and then finally she gets caught and, and, and Rose is holding Abra by the throat. Uh, and then she realizes she's like, this isn't your head, is it? And we switch back and we're back into the actual hotel where they're standing on the stairs again. And mm-hmm. at that point, Dan says, again, run. And that's when Abra takes off. Actually runs. Actually runs because she hadn't been. They'd both been standing there. The three of them, I'm so glad that we saw what we saw because what was actually happening with the three of them were they were just standing stock still with the whites of their eyes showing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was no action happening. Um and Dan faces Rose. She's way stronger than him. But we do hear that even at his age, because typically steam sort of disintegrates with time yeah. and gets, she's like, you taste delicious, like whiskey. And he's super powerful. He's still super powerful. She's like ruffling around in that mind maze of his and sees the boxes that are in the right. maze and she's like it's not just you in here what else is it what else is it and he's like I mean if you want here you go there's a great kind of she's so acquisitive over everything uh, there's a great kind of reference to Pandora yes there, like, yes, there is a lot of that and she's like is is it more power what's in right. here and are they they're powerful right let me let me add them let me add them and he goes they're not powerful they're starving, and he mm-hmm. opens all of those boxes. And all of those beings that he has locked up in the boxes that were in the Overlook that have been just because he had asked Dick, What happened? Right. Do they die in there? What's and and he gets a very similar to what Snakebite Andy gets. Mm-hmm. Do you care? Right. Do you care what happens to them once they're in there? Um, they've just been sitting and waiting and getting hungrier and hungrier. Uh, there's this. They've used it on a couple of things, and I can't think of the most recent thing where they're using it, but there's the idea of an immortal in a box at the bottom of the ocean, dying, waking, drowning, dying, waking, drowning, and going insane, Right. right? As it happens, it's the same kind of thing, right? So they are like... Well, I mean, he's fine, but she's, like, juiced, so let's attack her. And they attack her and tear her apart. So Rose gets destroyed, but 
Dan gets overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And they possess him, and he goes after Abra with the axe. That'll be it. He goes after Abra with the axe, and she's like scared, but also she's like, I know my friend's in there. And she sort of reaches in, and she's like, see, I feel bad for you guys, because you don't know where you're standing, which is what Dan had said to Rose. Yeah. I I worry for you, because you don't know where you're standing, which was in the Overlook. And he, he and he, and the hotel, the ghost of the hotel, basically, is like, I know this place like the back of my hand. I know everything about it. And he goes, not that. You're in Dan Torrance, the strongest person I've ever met in my life, mm. and who made a beeline when he got here to the boiler room. At which point she is able to, like, break through. He's able to hold them off a little bit and mm. is like, get out of here. And then they, he and the spirits all run to the boiler room where there's a little struggle of, we're going to stop it. We're not going to stop it. And he prevents them from stopping it. And then the fire right. starts. And that is that takes down the Overlook. The Overlook burns down. Um, and then we get a little bit of a flash forward uh, where Abra's talking to Dan. And then, of course, it's a, it's a similar reveal as Dick Halloran, which is when Abra's mom comes to check on her, she's alone in the room. And Dan has died. Uh and she says, actually, you know, when her mom's like, are you okay? What's going on? She's like, I'm fine. And then she's like, actually, I was talking to Dan. And then she's also like, I also talked to dad. It, we go on and mm-hmm. they're okay. And sh- and her mom could just say, I'm glad. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> like, I, and doesn't really, you know, take any more to that. And then... They're going to go downstairs and watch TV. Before they go to watch TV, Abra excuses herself to go to the bathroom. And the uh, bathtub lady from the Overlook is in there. But Abra's going to put her in a box. Abra's going to put her in a box. And that's how it ends. It was a really very, very good movie. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really like it. And now that we own it, I'm like, this is a movie. Like, I could watch this movie to go to sleep. It's not. Oddly enough. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's sort of low key enough, and the performances are good enough that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I could just watch it. You know, well, whenever. It, it, like I said, it has a lot of elements. There's a. A hammer film near the end of their cycle called uh, "The Devil Rides Out," which has a similar feeling where, and because it was a really fine piece of work, it was adapted by Richard Matheson, so. There's a lot of, now we're in an action scene, now there's a scene where they're uh, using magical forces to assault each other, now there's another scene where we're basically in a car chase, and and it reminded me of that, where you could switch gears and still have it be cohesive, it's not like it's separating into different parts, Yeah. and the fact that he, uh, Mike Flanagan, does a great job of incorporating Kubrick's overlook into it, so when we revisit that hotel, it's yeah. how we remembered it. It's really, really well done. The mm-hmm. way that they used old footage and remastered stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, there aren't huge changes right. from the director's cut to the director's cut. It it adds about twenty five minutes, and a lot of it is just deepening of yeah. character, which it, and so like 
is it worth watching the director's cut? Well, if you like this movie, yes, it is. Yes. If you don't like this movie, no. Yeah. Like if you don't if you don't think you're going to rewatch this movie, then you don't need to watch the director's cut. But if you like this movie and want more of this movie, that's what the director's cut gives you. Yeah. Um, the last thing I was just looking through, there's a list um, on a few different sites how the director's cut sort of completes the tale and and what the difference the differences are. And a lot of it is just extended scenes of, you know, Danny and Halloran talking. The more flashbacks of the bar fights, mm-hmm. we uh, when Halloran appears to tell Dan not to take the money, he says, you could leave that money. That's the least you could do when he leaves the baby. Mm-hmm. Dan tries to lock him away in a box. And Halloran's like, you can't. I'm a memory. I'm not mm-hmm. a monster. We're the, we're the real ghost. Memories are the real ghost. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything about me. I like the, tra- the addition of chapter titles. You see a little bit more of the true knot sort of interacting with each other to give them a sense of family that you yeah. didn't totally get um, in the original version. That's where uh, there's a whole the whole scene about the earthquake mm-hmm. on the street with Abra is added. And then the last thing is the conversation between Dan and Jack at the bar. Uh, it's a lot of the extra, there's extra lines added mainly concerning Wendy and Dan talking about the event effect that the events the shining had on her that were discussed in previous cutscenes, as well as delving further into the effects and effects and reasoning behind both Dan and Jack's alcoholism. After Jack spills the drink, there's an extra scene of him cleaning up Dan in the bathroom where Jack tries to convince Dan to abandon Abra and leave her presumably for the hotel to consume. And then the rest is the, you know, the same as the theatrical cut. So they're just the it's it's character rather than set piece, mm-hmm. which I think you know, yeah, make my movie at twenty five extra minutes if I yeah. get a deeper understanding of these characters that I already really like. So so overall, you enjoyed it. I love this. <laughs> I love this movie. This is my this is my favorite thing mm-hmm. that we've watched. I think this. Um, I think that I'm. I really. I think there was a. Um, and we've talked about this too. There's a, there was a dip in the very beginning. You had George Romero and Brian De Palma and Stanley Kubrick trying to interpret Stephen King. I like Mick Garris. And I then am, there was like a, a dip in quality where it was like we're watching, you know. I am grateful for Mick Garris making right. as many adaptations well, no, as I, he I, did. I'm not saying specifically him. And I know, he's but he's quality, not. But. He's not the director that Mike Flanagan is. Right, but this is another attempt, because there's a, one reviewer who claimed that there was only two really serious great adaptations. That was The Shining and The Shawshank Redemption. But I don't think that's the case. I think there's others, too, as well. But like I said, there has there was a dip where you, suddenly everything was being adapted, and some of it... Yeah, and so, as I've said, yeah, uh, as we talked about earlier, too, where it was like, didn't, didn't need, need that. Right. Didn't need it. (laughs) What I like is that this is a throwback to a director with a great deal of talent attacking a story in such a way that it comes across. Oh, no, this is a a movie on its own that has these qualities that are worth watching. It's not just... And the the cool thing about this, and Mm -hmm. now I have to... This is hard for me to say with certainty because Mm -hmm. I am a person who had seen The Shining, had read The Shining, had Mm -hmm. read Dr. Sleep, had watched The Shining... TV 
you know, miniseries. I think it is possible to totally enjoy this movie Mm -hmm. not having any of that. Yeah. I think that the other thing that Mike Flanagan does is he does not rely on your knowledge and love of The Shining, Mm -hmm. Stephen King, any of that stuff. I think he builds uh, enough into this movie as it stands that totally without any knowledge mm-hmm. you would go and enjoy this movie and right. you would not be it wouldn't be confusing there's enough exposition explaining what this is what everything is and what is happening that you're not going to be lost if you don't have those that that thing which is another pretty significant feat when you're bringing so much together but not relying on any of it right and i think that it's it it's not necessary, but it certainly will enhance the experience That's if, if you're familiar with it. Oh, 100%. I kind of like to watch The Shining and this back-to-back. Yeah. I'd kind of like to give that a try one time at some point, eventually, when there's time again in the world. She's had a day, folks. She's had a day that was like a tsunami, and she's not quite sure how she made it to this time. So, um, So that is Dr. Sleep, our last film of the miniseries mm. uh, my favorite what do you think do oh. you have a favorite um it's hard to tell we can point. also talk about we can also yeah, do a we, sum up thing right, but i think, we can, I, think yeah. I can say pretty definitively that this is my this favorite is one of of my, if not my it certainly is in the top five of films that i've come away with this whole experience the stephen king experience so far that i really loved yeah and I, yeah, I've been enjoying almost everything. Even the things that are like, woof. The Mangler? Are you fun. Enjoy the Mangler. Uh, enjoy is a strong word. But why don't you tell us a little bit about something that you enjoyed with a recommendation? Um, I enjoyed a movie that everyone is seeing, so I don't feel like... Does I'm, it need you? Well, no. Does it need me? But... No. Uh, which was Godzilla vs. Kong. And I went into it with some apprehension because... I like Godzilla, and I'm indifferent to Kong mostly, <laughs> but... Um, you liked Kong Skull Kong Skull Island, right, because well. there's plenty of stuff going on. It's just the character of Kong doesn't intrigue me at all. Fair. But, right. The fact that there's a character there is uh, right. a stretch even sometimes. One of the things that is was to me a little disappointing was that this movie focuses so much on King Kong. Um, yes. And it's a King Kong movie, but I... I really enjoyed the fact that somebody got into the spirit of really big monsters beating the hell out of beating each other. Beating the hell out of each and other. that the humans finally, and in the, there's been, uh, I guess, the, the the Monsterverse, what they're calling it, the legendary Monsterverse, uh, is notoriously bad with human characters. What are they yeah. doing here? I was watching, um, this movie made me watch Godzilla King of the Monsters again, and I realized that the human plot makes absolutely no damn sense just populate really great actors doing ridiculous things for a little while. I do always mm-hmm. like in these movies, too, where I'm like, okay, who's the most lauded actor that's going to say the most bananas right. shit? <laughs> what is the line that is going to just be like, that man has two Academy Awards and just said some wild shit? And, and that's kind of... But the, the fun with Kong and Godzilla is that it... Um, there's some really I don't want to spoil anything. I'm sure everyone's seen it by now. It's apparently So far it, they're saying it's a huge success. Now, 
it is the number one movie in the in theaters for a long time. If uh-huh. people are able to see it in theaters and they are seeing it in theaters, I mean, it's small compared to any other time, but uh-huh. it is doing gangbusters. And HBO is saying that they're doing very well with it. Uh, these are streaming services well, I mean, who how, do, how there's no way to tell about how. This is frankly that this might be the movie that everyone looks back on and goes, "This is changes the way that movies are distributed now." Because, because of how much money it's made. Because of how much money it's making, the way that it's making it, where yeah. you can have something simultaneously yeah. streamed and in theaters. Yeah. And this film is the kind of movie where you want to watch it on a big screen. Yes, it is crazy ridiculous. Yeah, we the, watch it on our big screen as right. opposed to the big screen, which is pretty big. And we waited until dark, right? So we weren't getting you and know. It was a wild, movie. wild movie. Um, it was fun. Yeah. It was really enjoyable, and there's a lot of... Alt- I agree with Richard uh-huh. Roper. It will not stay with you, but during the time that you are watching it, uh-huh. that is all you're going to be thinking about. I didn't feel the need to get on my phone. Right. <laughs> well, you can't, because the movie... One thing that they've carried forward from Gareth Edwards' first Godzilla film through this one is that all of these movies are visually really beautiful, which is a strange thing to say. There's a passage that takes place in the Hollow Earth Yes. It owes a lot to Edgar Rice Burroughs' version yeah. of Pellucidar. But the visual realization of that, because there have been attempts to do it before, of what he described as a, a sort of an inverted gravity where yeah. you're essentially walking... So in this one, it seemed like there was a world, like there was stuff in the middle, and uh-huh. then the stuff on the outside. Well, the gravity pushes all the magma together like a sun, and you're literally walking on the inside of the crust. There's but he also jumped you. up to yeah. other, there are other, like, like floating islands Like almost. there's a null zone where the okay. gravity isn't affecting you because all the gravity is out of whack. And that's what Burroughs was describing in his Pellucidar books, and there hadn't been a satisfactory vision of what he said until I was watching this going, no, this is what he was talking about. And it's very this is what he meant. wild and strange to look at. And yeah, so it was a really, it was a fun movie. Yeah, but um, it's fun. So what would you recommend? Okay, so I'm going to recommend one thing, but I'm also going to mention one thing. Mm-hmm. Y'all, if you're going to watch the Snyder Cut, you're going to watch the Snyder Cut. But I need to tell you as a person who did not watch Man of Steel and did not watch uh BVS Dawn of Justice and did not watch the original cut of Justice League. I did watch Dawn of I did watch the Snyder cut of Justice Justice League and I enjoyed the hell out of it. It is dour, it is gray, it is all of those things. It also has a very cool portrayal of Cyborg. I enjoyed the yes, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed really it. It's really interesting. His character is super interesting. And uh, and totally missing from the original mm-hmm. cut or the the Whedon cut. Um, I have my issues with Zack Snyder. I have bigger issues with Joss Whedon. Uh, I did not think that I'd want to watch a four hour movie, but I did decide that I wanted to watch, uh, largely due to my podcast listening, because right. I was going to miss out on two episodes of Flophouse and an episode of How Did This Get Made that crossed over with Blank, uh, blank Track. And I was like, I cannot miss six hours of my favorite podcasts, so I guess I have to watch four hours of this movie. <laughs> and we did. We watched it in... Uh, two nights. Was it two nights yeah, or two nights. one day and, the, and that night? 
I feel like it was the afternoon and the evening. Time got compressed. I think it was one day, but we had like a six-hour break in the middle, or like a three-hour, four-hour break in the middle. I think it was. But anyways, we watched it in two pieces, uh, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Uh, But that's not what I'm going to recommend, because like I said, if you're going to watch it, you're going to watch it. If you're not, you're not. And nothing I say will have any effect on it. I will say we have started watching a show on Netflix called The Irregulars, which is a alternate... The history of the Sherlock Holmes stories? I don't yeah. even... The Sherlock Holmes are history. It's too early to tell for me what exactly I'm looking at. Um, it, is, it, is, it is hypothetically a few things. It mm. is, what if uh, Sherlock Holmes was such a drug addict that he was not the one solving the crimes, just taking the credit, but his irregulars of Baker Street were solving the crimes. Okay. So we are with the irregulars. These are street urchin kids and... Also a wealthy one who has hemophilia. Um, solving these crimes. Now, also, these crimes are paranormal. So it's not just what if not Sherlock Holmes, mm, but yeah. the irregulars, but also, and also what if paranormal instead of just typical bad human stuff. And we've watched the first two episodes. Uh, I've enjoyed them quite a bit. There are eight episodes total. It totally seems like something that's based on a on a graphic novel, but mm-hmm. it isn't. It is, as far as I can tell, the direct writer, director, showrunner's dream project mm-hmm. that he just gets to do. And uh, I'm enjoying it so far. Good. We have watched one quarter of it. Hopefully, it doesn't tank. There's no fat, fat Mycroft though, so if you want, yes, if you I want really, Fat Mycroft, you won't get him I, in I, this. I don't understand why Mycroft is so thin. Always now. Yeah. No I, ever I, getting... Why? I, because they can't put fat people on screen. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, but that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be mad as a fat person over here. Um, I just... I, I remember when um, Martial Law, which was a silly, silly chop kind of television show with Sammo Hung playing, you know... Uh, a Hong Kong detective who comes to the United States. And the first few episodes are rough, but then they sort of found their rhythm. And just the idea of seeing a five foot three, 240 pound man fly through the air like that was hysterical. Yeah. The show gathered, gathered all sorts of ratings. And then for some bizarre reason, they changed showrunners and it was relegated to some weird time spot and taken off the air. And it's like, it was almost like a conspiracy. Oh, no, we can't see a fat guy do this. You oh. know? <laughs> he's a martial genius, but we we can't see that because he's Asian or he's fat. There were so many reasons, <laughs> like, to to sideline this show, which was a pity because it was doing very well. But yeah. what do you do? Samuel's my hero. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's some bullshit. I, I, I'm, I'm for fat Minecraft. But, uh, so that's the regulars on Netflix. So I think that brings us to the end. Yeah. Now... Hopefully, 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 next week we will watch Mr. Mercedes episodes one and two of season three. If not, we will be going right into season two of Castle Rock. Those are the two things that we have coming up. It's one of those two things. I will let you know as soon as we have watched a thing to let you know where we we stand with that. Uh, In the meantime, questions, comments, concerns, please email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at latecomerspod. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching Lightcomers Podcast in the search bar. Uh, I 
Remind you to take your medicine. I'm so hungry. It was so hyperkinetic. I was like, I was talking, uh, listening to Kermit. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. I'm starving, and I yes. know that I get to have food when we stop this. So I'm trying to stop it sooner. So in that vein, I remind you, eat a complete meal and take your medicine. And we remind you, better, better late than, than never. never. Except when it comes to food. No. Doesn't need to be good to be late. <laughs> <laughs>